0: Hi and welcome back to the show today I am joined by Ben Shipley he is the chief growth officer of trust the process so I had Pete Liston on the show a few months back he is one of the co-founders of trust the process and I've got Ben Shipley back to discuss more about the firm and to see where they have been going in the last few months. It's a really interesting progression of this firm. They're a few years old now, but they are fast growing. They have hit one of the fast growing lists in Australia um, and they are doing things a little bit different. They are inspired by military philosophy, so they run a really tight ship and strong operations. Uh, And they're a bit of a hybrid between the common seat leasing sort of model now and the full service provision. So it's an interesting, really interesting conversation with Ben, and it's great to see this company flourish. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator, about to start, or somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. So Ben, tell us about Trust the Process. We had uh, one of the two founders on the show not too long ago, actually, and it's an intriguing company, really taking a different perspective on offshore staffing. Um, what tell us? Give us the elevator pitch for what Trust the Process is.
1: Yeah, sure. I think you had um, yeah you had Pete Lister, one of our founders, on a little while back. Um, I suppose the big thing with with Trust the Process is um, we're we're not. Um, we're not one of the uh, the really big BPOs out there. We've been around for for a good sort of four and a half five years, um, but actually, like I suppose the interesting thing we trust the process is our two founders, Matt and Pete, are actually former military. Um, both spent a decade plus in the Australian Army uh, as officers running sort of major logistics operations. Which I know that there's a lot of stuff out there about, um, you know, in in the business world about. Um, I suppose, military backgrounds. But if you're going to run a business, any background you could have from the military, uh, logistics is the one you'd want, (laughs) making sure, you know, the right people have the right information at the right place and the right access to resources at the right time uh, all over the world and in some fairly uh, extreme scenarios. Hmm. Um, And so, you know, Trust the process. has been going for, as I said, about four and a half years. And um, we take a very... Um, I suppose, human-centred approach to outsourcing as well as a very process-led approach. I know those two things seem uh, a little counter to each other, uh, but you absolutely can do them together. And so, um, you know, we work, work very closely with, with SMEs, small to medium-sized enterprises, really make sure that we help them, um, you know, use outsourcing, use offshoring, um, as a strategy, as a way to, to save money and as a way to grow, uh, but in a way that is really tailored to them um, and, as I say, very process-led so that they can um, get great results uh, and know that they can kind of trust what it is uh, that they're doing, trust who they're working with. So I had Pete
0: on the show, Pete Liston, and mm-hmm. uh, and I believe Matthew as well. They both came out of the military, and I don't believe you have been in the military. So no. it, it is sort of military oriented in terms of how they implement whatever processes and yep. and you know build the organisation. You as a civilian, <laughs> Ben, yep. how, how you sort of how has it impacted you? What 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 are your takeaways as a civilian, sort of stepping into? Um, an organisation that is influenced by the efficiencies of the military?
1: Yeah. So look, at m- my background personally, I've been in in sales and marketing and sort of revenue generating um, roles since I was 19 years old, selling um, commission only on the mean streets of Melbourne. Uh, I've been hiring teams. Um, I hired my first ever team member at 19 years old doing that uh, commission only work. Um, And since then, you know, I've been all over the world, um, managed teams all over the world, I've hired people in 31 countries now, you know, teams from just a few right through to a couple of hundred, set up contact centers and all that sort of stuff. And um, coming into this business from, from that kind of background has actually been a perfect fit for us. You know, Matt and Pete bring the rigors of their experience bring the certainty and the control of their experience. Um, and I bring, I suppose, um, the, the capabilities that come from having not been in the military but spent an entire career uh, helping businesses build sales and marketing functions in particular. Um, so I suppose like the biggest lessons for me have been there's so much crossover, there's so much similarity. A lot of the lessons that you learn in the military, that they learned in the military, uh, very similar to some of the lessons that you learn when you spend a lot of time really building businesses, right? There are a lot of crossovers. There certainly are some differences and some things that we can just kind of learn from the military, uh, particularly in how they, you know, systemize um, how they systemize and build. I suppose like institutional knowledge. That can be passed on that can be scaled that can be moved that can be um you know uh used in other places at other times and different time zones and all that sort of stuff that maybe is a little little you get a little less um in the regular sort of business world Mm -hmm. um but it's been a really good it's been a really good um crossover and uh and great for me coming in and, and getting a different perspective having kind of done my own versions uh, for the past sort of 19 years or so. It's
0: fascinating, isn't it? It's a little bit like, um, you know, f- f- diets and diet fads. And there's always kind of like the latest diet. And I, I actually jumped headlong into keto, and then everyone yep. you know, moves on to paleo and all this sort of stuff. And, um, <laughs> yep. you know, there's there's endless kind of management books on how to run different organizations and different structures and EOS and things like that. But yeah, um, it is surprising, actually, that there's sort of so much military influence in the world, but actually there's not really kind of a um, a military, what would you say, sort of philosophy in terms of running businesses or suddenly that mm. has hit the mainstream. It's it's an interesting concept, isn't it? Because the military, of course, is it's big, it's ever-present, it's in most countries, and it has sort of a unifying philosophy to it. So um, yeah. it is interesting to see it being applied to commerce.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I don't... I think one of the most interesting things is if you just look at Trust the Process as a business, Trust the Process as a business has grown very solidly every year that um, that it has been in existence, right? To the point that for last year, we were included in the AFR's Fast 100 list, right? I only joined Trust the Process about eight months ago, you know, after my own uh, career and spending, I actually was a... Um, Pete and Matt at Trust Pros were partners of mine in my in my past life, um, and you can grow like that when you have a great product, when you have great service, when you have great systems and processes, um, which is obviously what Matt and Pete have brought to this this equation. Um, but you come in as someone like me who spent their their career helping to grow businesses and very much on the sales and marketing side, and we bring to at, at that point bring together my approach to sales and marketing and growth and Pete and Matt's approach to uh, systemized businesses. I mean this isn't their first mm. rodeo either. Um, bring those two things together and and you start to see some really significant growth um, and some really significant progress. You know they have yeah, their system. Isn't it? and businesses like that.
0: Right? Sorry, they they really they really require all of that, don't they? Like sales is absolutely essential to a business, but also operations is absolutely essential to a business, and it it takes people that are passionate about those different aspects to really to really make them hum. Um, and ben, maybe I'll I'll tap into. So you are the chief growth officer of uh, Trust the Process, yeah. And um, it's always a I'm fascinated by the the concept of selling, outsourcing, or offshoring, or staffing. Mm to I think to all of us in the industry it is a no brainer you are able to access yep. high quality staff at a significant discount and then also you get you know the sort of operational uh, oversight of people like Pete and Matt thrown in to help you with your business and your processes it's it's a no brainer but it's actually surprisingly hard to sell i thought getting into this game you know within 10 years every single business in the world would hire globally instead of locally but Mm -hmm. there's there's resistance and people still don't get it and people are scared of it from a sales and growth perspective what do you think about that generally and and how do you Mm. break through that resistance
1: yeah so um look i've i've used outsourcing for myself for years i've had global teams for for years and so um I, I totally agree with you. I, I came in with with no um, resistance to the concept because it's something that I'd done for years and used very effectively for years. Um, there certainly is some resistance, but I actually think that some of the resistance, and uh, I apologise to anyone in the industry that gets caught up in this, but um, I think some of that resistance this industry causes for itself <laughs> there is a, there is a bit of a tendency to to overpromise and under deliver or actually I don't even think that's that's entirely accurate. I think there is a tendency to sell people what they're asking for. And this to me is where a lot of problems with outsourcing come from. Outsourcing should be simple. It's never easy, right? And no matter who you work with, you're going to have challenges. And I think what happens a lot is that someone comes into the concept of outsourcing, offshoring, whatever version they're going with, uh, and they talk to someone, they say, I want to solve a problem. And that pers- that organisation says, great, we can help you with that. Let's hire somebody. They hire somebody and that person set- tends to not work out. I think there has to be... If you're going to sell in this industry, there has to be some ownership from um, the outsourcing organization to really tell the customer the truth about what works and what doesn't. Um, You know, whether their strategy will work, whether the types of skills they're looking for is going to work because you do enough of this stuff and you start to see some pretty consistent patterns of, of what does and doesn't work. I'm obviously very lucky in that I spent so many years using outsourcing that I have a good understanding of what does and doesn't work all from my own trial and error. Um, and so I think that's a that's a main thing is if you're going to sell in this industry, it is harder because you really have to make sure that your customers have the right expectations. You really have to make sure that you, uh, you know, I think in a lot of sales there is, um, there is a tendency to maybe not give all of the information because you don't want to scare people off. I think in this industry, you have to really tell them what's going to happen, how it's going to be, um, what they can expect, what they should and shouldn't do. And you have to do that up front. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think where where that h- hasn't been done, I talk to a lot of customers who are like, I've tried it before and it didn't work for me. I got no results. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of overcoming that and really walking them through how to get results. You can't just help someone hire someone. You have to help them to learn how to be good at outsourcing, <laughs> right? It is a skill in and of itself in business.
0: It is, yeah. I wrote a book and you know, I was sort of trying to write down the principles of outsourcing and it, it sort of occurred to me as I was writing it, it it's fundamentally just a standard management book, you know, like yeah. a lot of the principles of outsourcing properly is really just managing a team properly. And yeah. it's, it's about, you know, as you mentioned earlier, delegation, not abdication. It's about, you know, building processes and not expecting sort of people to sort of run before they walk and, um, and building a team jet, you know, it, it's just sort of, there's yeah. no magic to it. What I think the, and i'm maybe guilty of this you know every week i'm on this podcast and i go you know offshore staff are amazing and and outsourcing is amazing and but you know fundamentally it's just hiring staff and hiring staff and building a team and running employees is it's really difficult and it, it yeah. it's not easy to run an organization and you know, you talk to employers anywhere in the world dealing with any staff anywhere, and it's a continual tension and a and a push and pull to, to get people productive, doing the right things, the right people on the right bus. Um, and it's hard, isn't it? So I think when people yep. sell the dream of outsourcing, it's almost like this utopian kind of employee that will just do everything without any um, complexity but it's it's far from uh, the truth 100
1: agree me? and and strangely a lot of people expect that it will go more smoothly and it will be easier mm. than the challenges they have with hiring people onshore maybe even in an office where the person's sitting next to them right they expect that the hit rate is going to be a hundred percent when that's certainly not the case even when you're hiring into a an office environment in, uh, in the country that you're operating from. <laughs> so it is funny. You, you do have to have some of those conversations um, and just make sure that that people are on the same page. But I totally agree with you. It is a matter of um, like offshoring. It, good, good offshoring is being great at managing remote staff. And if you've got remote staff, a thing I say to people quite often is whatever works with onshore in location staff you need to do 150 percent of that (laughs) for your offshore staff you know communication you have to communicate more frequently think about all of the stuff that happens when somebody is in a location with you where you see them on a Monday you find out how their weekend was you know that uh, it's their birthday because uh, somebody organized a cake like Just There's all these little non-work things that happen in an office Mm -hmm. that don't happen when somebody works remotely that you would be surprised how big of an impact they have. So I tell people all the time, like, whatever you you do that works, you need to do more of it and you need to go out of your way to have non-work conversations with your remote staff, right? Like, I, I catch up with my team every day. And I never start a meeting with what's happening with work, <laughs> right? And that, that to me has been a, a major learning. I think a lot of people learnt that particularly when we went through all of the lockdowns and working from home with COVID. Um, but we have to remember it. <laughs> like that mm. stuff's super important. And it's it's even harder if the person is, is remote.
0: And you mentioned, you know, don't sell people what they are asking for. And it, it's intriguing that, isn't it? And I, I can be a little... I suppose, pushy on the phone and kind of telling people what they want. And people generally don't like that, you know, because they Mm. come in with their sort of preconceived notions and you're meant to just sort of clear the way, but, and it's really hard, isn't it? To kind of advise people on actually, you know, you, you don't want a VA um, you want a proper team member that can do the function that has experience in that and Mm. build a team accordingly. And, and, um, it's hard. How how do you find that people respond to sort of being nudged along into sort of a more ideal direction?
1: Um, I think I think it depends, right? So you you certainly have some some business owners, some managers, etc. that um, that do have some some preconceived notions, some pretty locked in perspectives on things. Um, And so for me, it's really about understanding where are they at in their journey. You know, I like to ask everybody that I speak to, like, have you managed remote staff before? Have you outsourced before? Have you used offshore team members? Um, And really explore like where their experience is because, you know, I speak to people every day who have been managing Um, offshore team members for 20 years in that case (laughs) I'm spending a bit less time telling them what they should do and what does and doesn't work because quite often they can tell me what works but understanding where they're at in their journey and then applying appropriate levels of advice I think is really important you know I'm not here to tell anyone um, how to do something they already know how to do but I also need you know, I, I have a responsibility to our team members as well. And so, you know, we're we're hiring people for long-term roles. We're, we don't work a lot in, in sort of project-based work. And so most of the time, the best people aren't looking for work and we're hiring people that already have a job. And so it is it is partially my responsibility to make sure that they're coming into a role that is going to work not just for the clients, but for our team members. Um, And so sometimes it takes a little bit of cajoling, um, but I think usually if you have the right level of knowledge and you can have a, a, a good conversation with somebody about what they're trying to do and talk through from your experience what has and hasn't worked and let people kind of make their own decision um but with all of the information i don't tend to get a lot of a lot of you know i don't tend to get a lot of people telling me no we're going to do this even though you don't think it's the right thing to do it happens pretty rarely look i spent the last um the last 3 years before i joined over at trust the process with um one of australia's largest um business coaching organisations teaching hundreds of members uh how to sell and so in terms of particularly when people come to us and they want to have a conversation about sales team members offshore, um, I've built multiple sales teams in the Philippines and in various countries around the world. And so usually that's a pretty easy conversation to have. Um, but ultimately, mm-hmm. like if you're going to tell someone uh, how things need to be, you, you need to know what you're talking about and you need to have good backing um in order to be able to show why that's the case but at the same time and I know I'm kind of going on a bit here but at the same time not every client is going to be for us either right there might be somebody else that knows how to do something better than we do and so for me in those cases where somebody's got an idea of something they really want to do I don't think we know how to do it um and I don't uh but this person really knows what they're talking about and really wants to go ahead and do it, I'll usually just refer them to somebody else that we know that's better in that particular area. So I think, um, I suppose as as an overall approach to that scenario is you you also have to be willing to just, you're not just there to sell something to them that you don't know how to deliver. Mm -hmm. You have to be pretty honest about this stuff. Sometimes you'll get pushback, sometimes you won't. Sometimes it'll fit, sometimes it won't. But I think if we're, this is an industry more than any other I've ever worked in where we just have to be so honest with each other about what we can and can't do and then make our own decisions from there about whether we should work together.
0: So when you're selling the dream of trust the process, what exactly are you selling? You know, it, it varies enormously across the outsourcing industry. Mm, yeah. There's many outsourcing yeah. suppliers that really just offer the staffing and facilities. Um, and they hire the person suitable for your requirements. They get the green light from the client to hire that person. And then the the management, the processes are up to the staff member and the client, you know, pretty much emulating normal employment environment. Um, But then there are BPOs that have fully managed services and provide the solution along with the staff. And then there's hybrids. Where where does trust the process fit in that regard? If someone wants sales or marketing, do you come in and help build those processes or are you just finding the appropriate staff to do
1: that? Mm. Um, So... I would say we fit somewhere in the hybrid uh, grey scale. Um, so the way that we work, because we we pretty specifically work with SMEs, right? Um, we've built our process, we've built our structure as a business around what works for those types of businesses, right? One of the challenges with uh, fully outsourced, fully managed services ultimately ends up being that you you go to offshoring for cost savings and it doesn't end up being a significant cost saving by the time you factor everything in. And so we sit somewhere in the middle but um, really we are hiring staff. We are hiring staff to be their staff obviously through our books but um, to be treated like internal members of staff Um. For the types of clients that we work with though, you you have to have more support than that, right? There's not many entrepreneurs out there that know how to do absolutely everything or have oodles of time to be able to manage absolutely everything that's happening around them. And so there's a couple of things that, that we find really important. Um, the first one is you, you do have to have a focus on retention. Um, whilst a lot of people come to us looking for cost savings uh your greatest cost in outsourcing is very rarely your hourly rate of the staff it's usually in all of the time you have to spend when you get it wrong uh when the person leaves when you have to replace all of that sort of stuff and that's where a lot of people um find it challenging um and so for us like we pay a little bit above market rate to our team members um we pay them healthcare and social security, and we pay them annual bonuses. Um, and we do a lot of like I suppose internal cultural work to try and make sure they have a great environment, um, and so that they stick around for the long term. And I think that's a that's a really important element, particularly for the types of businesses we work with. Um, the second thing for us is that. Um, Businesses don't have a whole heap of time. Most people in business don't have a whole heap of time to spare. Uh, and so sometimes they need a little bit of extra help, um, particularly in, in applying a localized context to how they manage people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll tell you that the greatest learning I've had with running offshore teams is you have to have an in-country counterpart. Um, like, and I give the example all the time. I worked for a company years ago, and apologies in advance to all of my American friends, nothing against you, uh, but I worked in a company that had all American managers in Australia, right? And they just couldn't retain people because the business culture in Australia is fundamentally different than it is in the US, right? We're obviously very relaxed, (laughs) Um, Maybe uh, you know a, a little less formal, a little uh, maybe being an understatement, and it just didn't work. We couldn't; they couldn't retain people. People were unhappy, but th- those were good people that were probably great managers in in the US.
0: Mm-hmm. And the
1: same applies to wherever you, you're you're managing staff. You do need to have some localized understanding of cultural norms and the norms that exist within business and management. Um, and that's been a, a, a major game changer for me. I'm very lucky. I have um, somebody in the Philippines has been working with me the last few years. Big shout out to Bel Capistrano, um, who is essentially that person for me in the Philippines and has been at multiple places. And so for us, structurally, every single person that we hire for one of our one of our clients has an internal. Um, Team leader, uh, it, you know, obviously when we start to get to the size of teams that they need their own standalone managers, um, then we shift a little bit. But for most of our clients, they have an internal team leader that is there to, you know, make sure people are logging in into on time, working towards their tasks. That attends the training and the onboarding so they understand the task and they can mm. give a little bit of extra people part. need that
0: don't they, they need they need yeah. the structure they need the oversight it, it's yeah it, it's it's a sort of soulless place if if everything's completely autonomous yeah people actually need that
1: yeah the structure, exactly. The hierarchy. exactly and and I, I tend to find that um you know small to medium-sized businesses just need a little bit that little bit of extra support too um, and and so that that obviously also helps us with retention having that internal team we try and put people together in teams where they're doing similar work so that they don't always have to go to the client to get answers um they've you know two people that are in sales uh can often ask each other questions and get a little bit of help with a team leader that also comes from a sales background Mm -hmm. Um, so that's that's the 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 other sort of major piece for us Um, and i suppose we will
0: leave it on the ever sort of open debate of remote uh what so um, Trust trusted processes is, is a fully remote organization is that right yeah. and what are your thoughts in terms of that you have you yourself have been using sort of offshore and remote staff for for many years now it sounds and um you know an early adopter but where do you see the whole future of that and the sort of potential and also the downsides
1: yeah I, like i i I totally understand when people want to have um, their team members in an office. I personally actually like being <laughs> in an office, right? I like having a bit of banter with my colleagues and having a bit of fun and doing all those sorts of things. There is one major challenge, right? And, and I think this is, this is so very true for us and that is access to talent, right? Um, we know that particularly during COVID and particularly in sales and marketing roles, A lot of people moved out of the major centres in places like the Philippines, right? And if you, you know, anybody who's been to Manila, if you happen to have an office in Manila, you can hire people from somewhere within about eight kilometres of where that office happens to be, right? Because otherwise, they're just never going to be able to get to work. The commute's going to be too extreme. If you don't hire to an office, you can hire people from wherever there happens to be um, the the right person with the right skills. Um, you absolutely, as a business, trust the process included in that, have to be more strict about testing technology and testing internet connections and things like that. You have to provide a bit more support around um, making sure that that those things are in place. Um but having that, that remote aspect, it just has totally changed the, the volume of amazing candidates we can get because we can get them from wherever they happen to be. Um, and so that's been really important for me. I, I think the hang-up for some people is just getting their head around the idea that they want to be able to control someone and they feel like Access and same location equals control. And the truth is go into every office building that exists in the entire world and watch how no one knows what anyone's doing anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you want to have, to, to your point before about what you found writing your book, um, actually, whether it's remote or whether it's in an office, good control comes from Good systems, right? Con- this is this is a, a lo- this is something I learned from Pete from a military perspective, right? Control is consistency plus visibility. You don't have more visibility because you're in an office with somebody. You have visibility if you have good systems and good technology, and people are working through those systems and technology. Um, control plus visibility, sorry, consistency plus visibility equals control. Um, and that you know that takes us back to the points around having processes Um, you you never outsource a problem right never outsource a problem always outsource a process if you outsource a problem you usually get a bigger problem if you outsource a process you get efficiency Um, and so wherever they happen to be if you've got processes in place you've got good technology to track them you get control anyway and actually sometimes it forces people to Put those things in place that they never had before and they find actually they have more control than they've ever had
0: it's interesting isn't it? the whole world is really just grappling with this new sense of work and the future of employment and all that sort of stuff and COVID has pushed the agenda forward but you know i was writing an article yesterday and i kind of reflected on it like you you think like you know and the way that i describe outsourcing is i, I say if if it's if you can do the job on a computer then it can be done offshore mm. and In today's world, you know, the vast majority of jobs are done on a computer. But computers have only really been around for 20 years, you know. It's such a short period of time. And you can imagine just prior to that, of course, everyone had to be within an office and kind of collaborating um, personally, uh, physically. Um, But, you know, now since everything, but it's just such a short period of time in in our relative human history that... Everything is conducted across these computer interfaces, and so I think everyone's kind of really grappling with what is the new reality, and that's hard, isn't it? Because you've also you've got sort of workplace efficiency, but then you've also got these softer things like culture and belonging and loyalty and um, enjoyment, even you know. And it's uh, it's yep. fascinating, yeah.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. It is a space that I. Um like i've said before i i've been offshoring i've been outsourcing for for years um it's a space i'm i'm really glad that i'm involved in as an as, as an outsourcer myself now um it's because it's it's a people business right and i was talking with a client just recently about impact um it is amazing the impact you can have on the lives of your team members when you are hiring somewhere remote. Um, sometimes, just the difference of of um, of a sm- what we might perceive to be a small amount of money makes a huge difference. That's why it's cheaper in some of these countries. And so, you know, getting to be in a business where where we are making great jobs you know great jobs with great clients for great people in remote locations that really make a big impact and change their lives that to me is um is a great business to be in it's obviously a good time to be in outsourcing um but i i I absolutely love what we get to do because of the the human aspect of it we are in a human business right
0: it's fascinating isn't it and it's so quickly changing and i think over the next 20 years we're going to see incredible sort of seismic shift in what it what it means Mm -hmm. to to work and employ and um it's all going to go towards one kind of global unified workforce i believe and it's it's really going to change quickly watch how
1: watch how some of the technologies end up just replicating how can you force a remote worker to appear to be in an office (laughs) Mm. that's my that's my prediction yeah yeah, yeah. yeah But
0: I do wonder what's what's going to replace it. You know, I I think Mm. people still need belonging. And I I fear for a future where, you know, we're we're relatively formed in our our personality and lives now. But the sort of 20-year-olds that are graduating from college um, and if their entire career is in their bedroom, in their pajamas, you know, Mm. switching between TikTok work and Netflix – um, I, I sort of worry for that future a little bit, you know. But
1: it's, there's an it's- amazing book that I've just finished reading, um, called "Stolen Focus" by uh, an author named Johann Hari, that talks about this quite a bit. <laughs> it is it is a, cha- a major challenge. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be worked out. Um, but one one of the things that I, somebody said to me recently. There's a whole generation of people entering the workforce that have never lived without Facebook. Mm. And that mm. is, you know, having been one of the first people on it, being around in those really early days, it's kind of amazing to think. Yeah, and
0: I, you know, like you and I were sort of relative pioneers in terms of adopting remote, and you know, I think sort of, and to, but to those kids the sort of i don't know millennials or gen z once they are 35 making hiring decisions it will be a completely different bag i mean to Mm. them it's just they're native in chat rooms and whatsapp and you know not native to offices so it's it's their hiring decisions are going to be completely different
1: yep absolutely absolutely i'm i'm very interested to see what comes uh very interested to see what uh, what solutions are found for improving the lives of remote workers and improving culture um, you know there's there's so much we can do it's it is an exciting space to be in uh, there's a lot we can do now and I think that generally most businesses need to focus more on the cultural aspects and and making people feel um, a part of something bigger than themselves feel like they're uh you know really contributing to something beyond themselves um and you can definitely do that remotely
0: fascinating what an exciting future we all face ben thank you so much as always i encourage people to reach out to have that conversation and to even be challenged by ben you know and to really get to the core of of maybe what you need and and how offshoring can help so um reach out have a conversation Ben. if if people want to learn more how can they Get in touch. Uh,
1: Well, the two simplest ways are, number one, you can always find us on the Outsource Accelerator platform, of course. Uh, You can also find us at www.trusttheprocess.com.au.
0: That was Ben Shipley. He is the Chief Growth Officer at Trust the Process. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And as always, if you want to ask us anything, then just drop us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.